1: All right, State versus the U-Week. We've reached October. How you doing, Matt Simmer? How you feeling? I feel hey, a little bit
0: of a cold, so I don't know if I'll sound... I did a, a radio interview with JT's show this morning, and I could barely breathe. I was so stuffed up, and uh, it went longer than usual. I was like, am I going to have to blow my nose in the middle of a radio interview? I almost had to do it, but I managed to... Did you say that? No, oh. I just I just toughed my way through it.
1: Oh, you might as well just be... Yeah, let it, let it fly like Yeah, that. I mean, you know, that, that JT's
0: pretty chill, and, you know... As you were when you did it. I've never been to, like, oh, I'm on the air. As long as I don't say the F word, <laughs> I'm usually fine. <laughs> yes. So.
1: yes, you are. Well, maybe, well, Budweiser might help that, uh, yeah. help make you feel a little bit better. So does being at the Gateway. This is uh, your second best place to watch the State versus the U on Saturday afternoon. Of course, the best place will. Be Dana J. Dykhouse Stadium, one o'clock kick. But hey, it's going to be on Midco Sports, and it's going to be right here at the Gateway, where Jacks and Yotes fans can t- congregate, fill this place, have some fun, and with the TVs they have, it'll make you feel like you're there. I just might have to do it. Uh, I just might have to do it on Saturday. Um, by the way, uh, you you while you've been writing about this game, getting getting people ready for it, which we're going to do now. Uh, you probably spent some of your day yesterday on that. I know you also spent some post key to the city, auggie versus USF, writing as well. Uh, you're doing all that. I was uh, I was interviewing a pig yesterday, so that's my life leading up to this.
0: You are went, went to Mitchell, and, Bruce Almighty reincarnated, aren't went, you? Went
1: to yeah. Mitchell and interviewed a pig. Uh, well, and uh, and by the way, the pig's name was Bruce. Funny how you bring that <laughs> up. The pig's name was Bruce. If you had a pet pig, what would you? I, you know, Bruce, Bob. I i always have like human names to pets. Arnold I, Ziffel. <laughs> Does he remember Green Acres? <laughs> okay, the Arnold's talking not pig. Arnold's not bad. Yeah, that's good. You're old enough to get that reference, aren't you? I don't remember the pig's oh, name. I—I I, I remember the song. I remember Zsa Zsa Gabor was in it. Arnold Ziffel was the talking okay. pig. All right. Yeah. Was it a good show? Did you, did I, I just did you remember the it? talking pig. <laughs> okay. It was on right. Nickelodeon
0: a lot when I was a kid. <laughs> Sounds good. All those '60s and '70s shows that I watched because I. Had you know, there, we grew up in the dark ages where we, there was nothing better to do than watch Nickelodeon. And our
1: parents and people in the generation Duke
0: show Mr. Ed, you know. Our
1: you know. parents and the people in the generation before us will say, Well, we only grew up with three channels. We we grew up with the really rough stuff. You know, I mean it was there's a lot of shitty T V on and you, you were gonna you're gonna get almost nothing and like it. But you're right. With us it's still like, okay, we got a little cable here and we got M T V, that was pretty cool when M T V was M T V and that was probably I'll take it, but uh You know, there was a little more variety, but a lot of the reruns were like stuff from the 60s and 70s, and we didn't really know any better how bad it was.
0: Yeah, we did. I knew how <laughs> shitty it was. Dobie Gillis and the monkeys and God. Mr. Ed. Mr. Ed was the worst, and I watched it a lot. Really? The Talking Horse. Uh. Uh,
1: my dad loved Dobie Gillis, and he would always say, uh, watch Do- I mean, it's not like he, it was appointment viewing, but if he, if he flipped through, he's like, oh, it's Dobie Gillis. <laughs> and I would sit there for five minutes and go, I don't, I don't get it. The other one I didn't get was Star Trek. My dad was kind of a stre- Trekkie. trekkie. And he would watch all of them. He would he would watch uh, you know uh, Next Generation, Voyager, whatever. And I'm he wanted the he wanted the bond there. And I'm just like I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, MTV is gonna MTV and sports are gonna have to do it for our bonding. It it stops at Star Trek. Can't do it. Uh, so anyway, the what's the feeling of this? Uh, the nature of the football rivalry of USD and SDSU because. Even though the Yotes have won the last two contests, it, obviously the Jackrabbits still have a better program, a nationally elite program, much closer to contending for a national title. Uh, and, of course, this game hasn't been in Brookings since 2018. Uh, and, you know, it was a Hail Mary last year. So does this really, how much did USD's two wins amp this rivalry up? Because, obviously, before the Jackrabbits were just dominating and winning every game in the Division One era. I think
0: significantly. And uh, the proof is in the pudding, to use a cliche. Just in how the Jacks are talking about it this year, you know. I was up at practice and talking to players, and there's no, it's just another game. We don't care, you know. Blah blah. You know. Did they al- used to say
1: that? Um, no, ne- not.
0: I mean, they never went as far as like you know, insulting USD or refusing to acknowledge them. Um, but they, you know, have always kind of been like, well, NDSU has become our primary rival, and that's still the case. Yeah. And I don't think that's an insult to USD so much as it's just. Those are the facts based on what has happened over the last 10, 20 years. Um, But, you know, Mason McCormick just is one guy, but he said, hey, I'm one and two against these guys. And you know what makes a rivalry? When both sides win. You know, it's not much of a rivalry if the same team wins all the time. USD's won the last two. That changes things. You know, and, and I think especially last year. You know, they win in 2019. SDSU was clearly the better team that year. USD, I think, was four and seven or four and eight or something that year. Five and seven they ended up if they won. Um... But you just sort of got a sense that year that USD collectively as a team just said, enough is enough. It's time to win a game in this series. They just wanted it more than the Jacks did that day, and they won. And it was like, okay, now they got one. Now it's more of a rivalry. But it still didn't necessarily feel like the worm had turned, so to speak. And I don't think it has now because, again, sdsu has been in the playoffs ten times in a row. They're competing for national championships. USD's not there yet but for them to back it up with another win last year. And, you know, some might say, well, it was fluky because of the Hail Mary. That makes it less of a thing. I don't know. I think that makes it more of a thing. Just because, yeah, SDSU should have won that game. They had it in the bag at the end and let it get away from them. But those are the kind of things that make rivalries. You know, those are the historic games. You know, I've never been a big enough college football fan to have my own Personal rivalry games I can reflect on, but I'm sure you, as a Husker fan, can remember all sorts of games against Oklahoma or mm-hmm. whoever else. Yeah, growing up in the 80s, 90s when that was the rivalry. Yeah, every every year it was intense, and every year you looked forward to it. But there, finishes like that one are the ones where you look back and go, "Oh man, you know that th- this will go live on forever." Yeah. And I'm now SDSU, you know. Part of it is, hey, we've lost two in a row. Part of it is also, God damn it, we had to spend a whole year watching this replay over and over again. And that's never going to happen. Wi-
1: didn't it win the ESPY? Did it win the ESPY? did did win an ESPY. It won
0: like a Sports Illustrated play oh. of the year or something. I know it was, it was nominated for It was a major award. SP. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I, you know, I thought I was impressed with how SDSU's players had a good sense of humor about it. You know, they were just like, yeah, you can't turn on the TV without seeing it. You can't look at Twitter without seeing it. That's not going to end if the Jacks win on Saturday. They're going to have to replay that shit
1: for the rest of their life. Yep. And that's part of the deal. Yeah, but that's hard to part that. of what makes
0: rivalries awesome is you ha- yeah. things like
1: that happen, and they live on forever. Yeah, it's, it's really hard to top that. That's probably what made the Nebraska-Oklahoma rivalry great was not just that they were – it was almost always going to the side, the Big 8 championship, uh, trip to the Orange Bowl, and often at least one of the teams – some times both they were in the national championship hunt. It was like a playoff game before there were playoffs, but also it, it, a lot of them were photo finishes. Most of the time it was Oklahoma ripping out the heart of Nebraska out of their chest. It was Oklahoma with some late game heroics. They called it Sooner Magic, and it was devastating. It was heartbreaking, and uh, those those things replay on and you're on and on. In your mind it never uh-huh. you're right it never goes away I, there's not much really SDSU can do even if they win the next 10 of these by 42 points each to to erase that that one will always be there but it would be pretty sweet for them to win because it's of that plus two in a row plus you can without having played in 2020 it, it, this brings me to the sidetrack path of I, I love it in sports when broadcasters or in print will write this their first this since then and like, will you? You'll probably write if the Jackrabbits win. It's their first win over USD since 2018. That makes it sound like it was ages ago. Right. Like, why? but it probably does feel like that for a lot of Jackrabbit fans, Jackrabbit students. I guess if you think about it, if you're a senior Jackrabbit student, uh, I mean, you mentioned Mason McCormick. If you're a senior, well, that would have been 2018. Would have been your redshirt freshman year. It's one, never happened.
0: There's only one player in this game who played really significant time in the 2018 meeting, and that's Josh Manchigaya, hmm. who transferred to USD before this year. He had like eight tackles in that game. I don't know if he started, but he, I'm assuming he did, or at least played a lot. Caleb Sanders played, Reese Winkleman played, uh, USD's long snapper played. But for the most part, yeah, everyone was a, a, a redshirt freshman, barely playing, whatever. I mean, Mark Gronowski's never played against the Coyotes. Isaiah Davis has never played against the Coyotes. And think how many guys on the Coyotes have never been to Dana G- Dana J Dykehouse Stadium before. A lot of them.
1: Yeah, no kidding. And this is this is partly what I love about rivalries and about us talking about big games because we we'll, we'll, we'll do the Xs and Os and Jimmy's and Joes and and you know, go through the point spread and who has the advantages where, but what I've always enjoyed having these kind of conversations with you uh, prior to this podcast and uh, on the weekly on the radio before that was you know, you, you seem to believe in this stuff. Like, the the rivalry part, what happened last year, plays a part. How much do you think it plays a part with the Jackrabbits, which is the beat you cover? I mean, they've been saying things to you publicly. You also get input or thoughts from the fans. Like, how much does that matter? It seems like they're probably the – they feel like they're the more motivated team because of the history in this series, where it's at right now, that that, that could play a fuel factor, especially – They'd love to not just beat USD. They'd mm-hmm. love to kick their ass, especially. Hey, you know, mm-hmm. we we get you in our house for once. Let's see how that let's see how that goes.
0: I don't think they're so much driven by the hail mary. I think they're more driven by just that they've lost two in a row. That's fine. Yeah, I think to the, me fact, it's the same thing. Uh, yeah, I
1: suppose. Seat. Um, I think the fact that but that matters just as much as what will factor into winning on Saturday. You know, but right. Between well, I mean, there's the, between a lot of the stuff. At, there's a lot of
0: stuff at stake. That's yeah. part of it. Also, I think the fact that. SDSU ended up going on that playoff run at the end of last year. I think that sort of washed away a little bit of the Hail Mary pain or whatever. I mean, I don't know that it should because if that hadn't happened, their playoff path would have been different and maybe they would have got to Frisco. I mean, maybe not. Um, But, you know, by the end of December, no one was really talking about that Hail Mary anymore. They were talking about, oh, you know, you lost to Montana State in the semifinals. Um I don't know that they're driven by it so much. I, like I said, I've, I've appreciated and been impressed by the fact that they haven't hid from it or tried to, you know, oh, we don't talk about it, blah, blah, blah. You know, they're able to kind of joke about it. As far as how that game directly motivates them or, or impacts them, I hope they're prepared to not let that happen again for their sake as far as uh, if you're trying to run up the clock at the end of the game, maybe figure out a better way to do it. Um, because they did the same thing back in 2017, I think it was when uh, they had almost the identical situation. They had the ball deep in USD territory, and they asked Taron Christian to, like, run around for t- 10, 15 seconds, and he ended up taking, like, a 20-yard loss or something. Like, And I I said this on our podcast last year right after the Hail Mary, like, just punt the ball. You're yeah. a Division one football team. If you can't punt the ball without, no. it, without it resulting in a, a block return for a touchdown or something, I mean, get out of here. You know, we talked about it last. There were so many other things they could have done. They could have just ran a play. And if they'd even gained one yard, it probably would have prevented a Hail Mary. might have got a first down. They could have asked Chris Oladokun to just turn around and run backwards out of the back of the other yeah. end zone. I mean, they did. I don't. we don't need to go over again, but they did the worst possible thing. That's what they need to make sure is that if they're in this situation again, I hope they took that stupid chuck the ball up in the air 500 crap and threw that out of the playbook forever. I, I don't think they should ever do that again. I mean, I think it's telling that I don't think I've ever seen another football team try something like that before. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So that's, I think, how the the Hail Mary side of it impacts it. Um, As far as, you know, just motivation, rivalry, it it was nice to hear SDSU's players say, like, yeah, it matters. This is bragging rights. It's, you know, red state, blue state, all those things you hear. And, yeah, NDSU is the big rival. You have the Dakota marker game, and that's usually the one that decides who's going to be the Missouri Valley Conference champion. Um, But, you know, last year, again, SDSU would have been a seed if they beat USD. Yeah, uh, USD would not have made the playoffs if the Jacks had won that game. There' a lot rode on that game and a lot's riding on this one too. Now it's early enough in the season that it's not going to end anyone's even, season, even USD. If the Jacks lose, well, okay, now you got to go to Fargo at fo- trying to avoid being four and three. If you're USD, I mean, we've talked about their schedule is ridiculous. They'll have now played the number one, number two, and number three teams in the country, um, and be one and four. Yeah, when you attack on the loss to K State, right? Yeah. And one and four doesn't eliminate you. Especially with their schedule, but you probably got to win out. At I know that, point. It, that
1: puts the heat on you, and, yeah, and who knows yeah. how physically and mentally you're beaten up after that. Right, Exactly. Uh, so I mean, and you think about the headwinds they'll have uh, that they'll be riding if they go up to SDSU and win. My God, we have won three in a row. We now we could prove we could do it up there, yep. uh, and uh, yeah, that should make them feel more like a, a, a big boy program. And by the way, that win last year, uh, you know. it, it the most part made their season but it also got them in the playoffs and they you know it was disappointing the way the playoffs went for them but they they at least got in there Mm -hmm. and um you know for for the coyote side of things sometimes i I like to check in with our friend coyote eric and uh, at eric asmus on twitter asmus So I said, how do you think this is going to go? And I asked him about the rivalry, so we we could break this down a little bit. He said he feels it's hard to predict how the game will go Saturday, partly because the offense has yet to find a rhythm at USD. Part of it is because of the competition. Part of it is because the O-line hasn't played a game with the five guys that were slated to start the season, and partly because of the switch to Bob Nielsen calling plays. The bye week probably came at an opportune time, so that they can continue to work on offense uh, so let's. I'll just stop right there with those things. Uh, any reaction to any of those points?
0: I think USD coming off the bye week is significant, um, although you could say SDSU is coming off a bye week too. Yeah, Western Illinois. I mean, and not stop. just that they played Western Illinois, but the Jacks slept, sleptwalked, sleepwalked through that game, and I don't mean that as a criticism. You know, people are talking about, oh, they only beat them 34-10. Yeah, because why exert more energy than you need when you got USD and NDSU coming back Or up your playbook. Yeah, I'm sure it yeah. was vanilla. Just get through it. I yeah. had no criticism of their of the way they won that game. So, yeah, so yeah that's part of it. Uh, the offense has been better since Bob's been there, or I mean since Bob's been calling the plays. Um, big question for me is how does a USD it's, – it's funny. You look at USD's defense and SDSU's offense. USD's defense is giving up a lot of yards. Um, But because they're pretty good in the red zone, the points have not necessarily correlated how many yards they've given up. And SDSU's offense, we know all the talent they've got there, but with a couple of exceptions, they've a little bit underachieved so far. Mm -hmm. They've shown signs. They seem to get better each week, uh, but they haven't really blown it up yet. What does that mean for Saturday? I have no idea. It'll be interesting to see how does a USD defense that's given up 240 rushing yards a game do against an Isaiah Davis, who they've never faced before, or at least never faced. Um, or Yeah, yeah he's, he's, I don't think he's ever played against.
1: Them. Yeah, he's the primary back, yeah. Uh, and you know, on that side, since you've mentioned SDSU offense, USD defense, uh, he says the defense at USD is pretty good so long as the offense doesn't hang them out to dry by having lots of three-and-out drives. I could see USD winning, but I could also see USD getting the doors blown off. And they may just feel like laying down a curb. Well, I hate the term curb stopping. It makes me think of the actual curb stopping from the uh,
0: American history. Oh, X. thank you. Gosh.
1: <laughs> just like if you if you ever watch that scene, you'll never say the words curb stopping again. <laughs> but anyway, uh, that's how he describes it. And we can't get out of the way. I think the game really boils down to USD's O-line and if they can run the ball and protect camp at all. Sure. That'll be Fine. tough.
0: Jacks are giving up about 50 rushing yards a game. Mm.
1: Are they getting to the quarterback?
0: Uh, not a ton, um, but that's you know also because they've been so good. Get- Usually in college, if a defense is uh, because sacks count at rushing stats. Anyway, getting sidetracked. Yeah. Um. Yes, I hate that. I yeah, hate it's really that. stupid. We need
1: sack stats, and we need it's sacks not to play yeah. into rushing. Carson stats.
0: Camp has like fifty rushing yards yeah. on the year because he's been sacked so many times. He's Rich. actually like USD's second leading rusher. Exactly. Anyway. Yeah. 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 Look at
1: the gross, not the net. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway.
0: Um. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I think USD has a good offensive line overall, but they have given up a lot of sacks. SDSU, I think, has a good defensive line, but they haven't got a ton of sacks so far. So I don't know.
1: Mm. Well, it could feel like with that line that USD has, that the short passing game might help. No one, no, nobody ever loves to do that unless that's your offense's mo. But that's 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 a way to kind of yep. And to it, uh, distract it, all that. You know. Talking
0: to SDSU's players,
1: screens. it, it and sounds
0: that. like their biggest concern is USD's running backs. They just think, and Carson Camp too, obviously. Um, they're really good players. Uh, they talked a lot about how hard and physical Travis Tice runs. And uh, all their running backs, really. And uh, the last couple of games, if there's anything that John Stegelmeier has been critical of, it's been SDSU's tackling. Um, so that that could play a factor. If you got running backs that run hard, run physical, that are are, are hard to bring down, and you're, you know, missing tackles and, and not being as sharp on that end, that could be a factor.
1: Uh, yeah, we're good right now. Thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, anything else? We were kind of emptying things out. Other big factors in this game. I mean, Mark Grenowski. The game before this one was great, and was then great. wasn't great against Western. And again. I, I'm with you that you just don't take into don't take much into account what happened against Western Illinois. That uh, that was that was that was a and a walk through yep. or a sleepwalk with all with all things involved. So, uh, and he did he get? Forgive me, I can't remember if he probably didn't play in this one last year. Was he hurt? No, he was did he it, play in last year's Groszke game against didn't USD. Play at all last right, year, that's right. That, okay, yeah. thank you. Yeah. It was Oladokin, So yeah. it's his first time facing USD. Could be Yep, because Oldoekin be and Davis were
0: both rookies in the spring season and yeah. that was when they didn't play USD because USD only played like three right. or four games in the COVID season. Right.
1: Okay. Uh, Tucker Kraft not going to be
0: back. Tucker Kraft won't be back. Um, I don't think Landon Wolf is going to be back. Uh, Zach Hines who has become the t- tight end, the starting tight end in Tucker's absence. Uh, left last week's game after taking a big hit over the middle. I'm assuming it was a concussion thing. Uh, he wasn't practicing when I was there the other day, but I've been told they're optimistic he will play. Not a guarantee, just optimistic that he will play. Um, still a couple guys missing on defense. Isaiah Stallberg dressed last week, but I don't know if he actually got into the game. Looks like he'll be good to go this week. So STC is getting healthier. As we mentioned, Tucker Craft had told me his goal was to be back for the North Dakota State game that's next week. We'll see if that happens. He's at least walking around, but he's still got a boot on.
1: Interesting. Well, and that, that's another thing that plays into this game is you can't, USD can't really hold back, sorry, SDSU can't really hold back anything just because they have NDSU the SU next Absolutely not, yeah. It, that's just how the schedule goes. That mm-hmm. sucks for them, you know, but, uh, and if, you know, if things happen where, A, but it's. But they're f- not going to, sorry, but they're not yeah, going to
0: they're not going to throw Tucker Craft in there if you, at 80% next week just because it's NDSU either.
1: I yeah, mean, they're well you're, you're you're still talking craft. I'm talking about the whole thing. Um, okay. you know the whole ball of wax for everything that SDSU is going to do schematically, psychologically uh, physically is uh, there's there's no real there's no real holding anything back for NDSU next week. You, you, you kind of have to survive and advance, and mm-hmm. those are the breaks if this turns out to be a game where you kind of have to somewhat empty your playbook and also have to leave it all out there. You know, a four-quarter game, and it leaves everybody gassed, and it might leave some players dinged up, bruised, or injured, and and then you're not as uh, ready for NDSU as you probably <laughs> typically are. I mean,
0: SDSU's taken so many bumps and bruises and injuries and whatnot so far. I mean, at this point, it's almost like... <laughs> Yeah. You know, what, what what more can you give us? And you
1: know? I hate to look ahead, but uh, how are you feeling about next week for NDSU, SDSU? Where the teams are and headed right now, um, or will this week tell a lot? Yeah,
0: I think obviously what happens Saturday will color that significantly, but, you know, NDSU hasn't been amazing this year, and that by no means is me questioning them or oh, the Bison down because the Bison are a kind of team you never really judge by their margin of victory. Right. Even though they usually do blow everyone out. There have been years where they didn't, and it didn't matter. They just win all the time. Yeah, Yeah. usually they win 47-10 to 10 or whatever, but sometimes they win 21-13. Or 34-17 against USD. Yeah, the where point is they always win. Yeah. And, you know, I was very surprised they lost Arizona. Um, literally, I was very surprised they lost Arizona. I thought they were going to win that game easily. Um, does that mean that they're a little vulnerable and then, you know, they struggled a little bit with USD? Yeah. I think it's a mistake to read too much into that. I mean, we saw Missouri State. They thought they were world beaters because they hung with Arkansas for three quarters, and they haven't won since. So, I don't know. We'll see. I do know that uh, SDSU knows how to play in the Fargo Dome as well as anybody. Mm. You know, they've won there a couple times. You could make a pretty sturdy argument that SDSU is actually a better road team than they are a home team. Yes, you've said Um, that many times. It's probably true. So, again, not to look ahead to that one, but, uh, you know, just at, at this moment right now, certainly not chalking that up as an automatic L by any means.
1: The Bison will have Illinois State to get ready for the Jackrabbits. They will be playing an Illinois State team that is two and 2-2. Two. One of those losses at Wisconsin, which, yeah, it's Wisconsin. It's the Big Ten. Wisconsin's terrible, and yeah. that was 38-0. And uh, the other loss was to... Southern Illinois. So, I mean,
0: Illinois State was, what, one play away from being national champions about seven years ago? Yeah, against NDSU. Against NDSU. Yeah, I remember I mean, that. They've, they've kind of fallen on hard. I don't want to say fallen on hard times. It's not like they suck. Um, but they used to be a power in this conference, and they are not right now.
1: It's tough. It's tough in the Valley. I, I should bring up another point Kyle Eric made about Bob Nielsen calling the plays. What, has it been two games now that yep. this has happened? Yep. And then an extra week to get ready for, US, for SDSU. That's as important to me maybe as anything physical. Stig
0: mentioned that, too. I mean, he was like, hey. Bob Nielsen is a offensive mind, and he's had an extra week to get ready for us. Yeah. So I think that's something they're aware of.
1: Anything on the? Because I know it's really not appropriate, or from, and it's just from you telling me this that to talk about why and how Bob Nielsen's now calling the place, He is. Uh, have you been able to? Even though you're not their beat guy, been able to. Decipher uh, what the difference is between Schlefke calling the plays and Nielsen calling the plays. A Um, lot of things are happening differently. I
0: haven't watched enough of their games, especially the last couple because they've been playing at the same time as the Jacks. Um, I just know Bob felt like Bob wouldn't have done that if he didn't feel like it was something he had to do. Yeah. And Bob Nielsen's track record as a play caller, as a coach, speaks for himself. Pretty damn good. Um, Now, to be fair to Ted (laughs) Schlefke, he got to coach against Kansas State and Montana and then Bob got to coach against Cal Poly, or was it Cal Poly? Yeah. But, you know, obviously that's a little easier. But you know, did some good things against North Dakota State too. So we'll see. I mean, I I don't I don't know how much that plays into it. Sometimes just, you know, you have two bad games. Doesn't matter who it's against: Kansas State, Montana, Iowa, whatever. Just having. You know, a fresh face or you know a, a different look at things. Maybe that plays into it. I and, don't
1: know. And hey, and I don't. Do you know when Bob stopped calling plays as a head coach? Did he? Uh, I think he. I don't. I um, don't think he has at USD. I don't know if he did at Western Illinois. I doubt it. Of course, I, th-
0: I think because uh, I think Ted was his OC at Western Illinois. too. Yeah.
1: And I wonder if Bob did it at D two in Duluth when they were winning well, all those titles. In, in,
0: it depends on how big you're. Like in Division One, you have a big enough staff that you don't have to. You know, you have mm-hmm. a coach for every position. Division two, it's a little, you know, you don't have 15 full-time coaches or 10 full-time coaches. Like, even just look at Augustana, a great Division two program, you know, some of their position coaches are like GAs, interns. They don't have a linebackers coach, a D-line coach, a cornerbacks coach, a safeties coach, all that stuff, you know. So sometimes, you know, and it's like for a better example, USF this year, John Anderson's coaching D-line for, for the Cougars. Mm. Um, it used to be when I went to a USF practice – I can just talk to John the whole time (laughs) because he's the head coach. He's just kind of overseeing, and he's not that busy. Well, this year, every time I go there, he's busy coaching the defensive line, so I can't talk to him in practice. You know, so that's one of the differences of D2 and D1. So I I don't know. I don't remember. It's been a long time, obviously, since Bob was at Duluth, and I I covered a lot of games when Duluth played Augie and USF back then. I don't know. I assume he was his own offensive coordinator at Duluth and called his plays, but I don't know for sure.
1: Well, I'll say this. Bob Nielsen, we all know, is a sharp cat, and if this game is close and USD does have the ball and they need a drive to, uh, if it's tied, if they're trying to come from behind, or even if they're ahead and they're looking for an effective way to salt away the game or get some insurance points, I, I I, I have not been a keen USD offensive observer but I would like to think a guy is, who has been successful as he has, and at some point is in his career as a head coach, winning national titles, was probably calling plays or having a big say in them. That I think the confidence level could and should be pretty high. That he's going to know situationally, both as a head coach, making situational th- decisions about timeouts, the clock, what to do on fourth and short, go for it, punt, what mm-hmm. play to call. That you're you're probably you're probably in the best possible hands with with him calling plays. That's what I'd like to assume and maybe that's just me trying to act like I know what I'm talking about when I don't, but it's, I mean but it just it's funny. feels it's like it makes sense. I hadn't
0: really thought of it much until you said it, but...
1: Big I, decisions to make if it's a close game.
0: But just yeah, yeah. well yeah, and you know, they've obviously run a lot of different kind of, you know, when they had Chris Streveler, I mean obviously they kind of tried to run everything through him and around him and Austin Simmons was a different quarterback a good quarterback, but a pass first quarterback, you know, I think, and When he was at Duluth, I mean, they were, I don't want to say a a three-yards-in-a-cloud-of-dust sort of team, but, I mean, they beat the shit out of you up front. probably didn't take much
1: offensive intricacy. Uh, I don't
0: know if it was that. It's just that Duluth, going back to, you know, when Bob was there winning national championships, I mean, they had a D1 offensive line, and then they just had a rotating cast of characters carrying the ball, and they, like I said, they just ground you into submission, basically. Which
1: makes play calling more challenging, but also probably more fun when there's a few... you know, A few more equations to figure out at, at, at where USD is right at at this moment in the Mo Valley and Saturday's game. Uh, final remarks from Eric Asmus. Going back to the whole rivalry standpoint, we'll toss this in. And this is my first look at it, by the way, uh, at Eric's message to me. He said he went to the State versus U football game in 2016 because I asked him, how do you like going to Jackrabbit games against USD as a USD fan, the atmosphere. Like the in Brookings? Means? In Brookings, mm-hmm. uh, the attitude of the fans and all that, and what he expects for the scene on Saturday. He said he went to the uh, State versus U game in 2016. That was Chris Strebler's first season. It was fine and people were mostly decent, but almost everyone I know refuses to attend a game there. Uh, and I think he means his fellow USD mm-hmm. fans. I am not attending this weekend's games, says Kyle Eric, and Kyle Eric loves to travel. He went down to K-State mm-hmm. for the K-State USD game. He says, uh, he's not. He's going to pass on giving SDSU any money to pay off those bonds for their new stadium. <laughs> he said, I did take the kids to Frost Arena in 2019. I will likely never go back. Watching 60-year-old men in the nosebleed seats decide to stand up to watch the game in the middle of the second quarter just for the sole purpose of blocking the view of USD fans behind them and then screaming in their face to sit in the effing bleachers, if they don't like it, sort of ruined it for me, says Coyote Eric. I am sure some Jacks fans give us some credit for the win in 2019, but no one probably does for last year. Unless we somehow win a national title before SDSU does, they will always treat us like little brother. Because unless that happens, we are always going to be playing from behind as a program. So there's some USD perspective on all that. Interesting. Yeah, one thing I wondered
0: about, and I've talked about this in a couple other podcasts or interviews, whatever, this week, is I get USD fans not wanting to make the trip, especially if you don't think you're going to win, especially if the weather's going to be crappy, which it was in 2018. It's not going to be this Yeah, Saturday. it was very cold. But also, put yourself in the shoes of the USD players. They already know that they're... Playing for the the second best team in the state, or however you want to say it. Um the the least successful program so far. I'm trying to be as charitable as I can. SDSU is the one who's been to ten playoffs in a row going to national championships. SDSU got fifteen thousand fans to see Western Illinois last week. A winless team that sucks and everyone knew the game was gonna be boring. They got fifteen thousand fans. USD got six thousand fans against North Dakota State. That's not good. And some of them were Bison fans. Exactly. Yeah, that's not good. They've been getting five, 6000 at their home games. That's what Augie gets for their games. That's not good. And then, okay, you got this big rivalry game. You're going to Brookings. And you'd like to think that some of your fans are going to make that trip because we all know SDSU fans go down to Vermillion. Not in droves, but there's, there's some blue there's there. There's
1: a presence for sure. There's a
0: presence, yeah. We all know what... NDSU fans do, Brookings certainly Brookings, maybe to a lesser extent for Million because it's a little further, but yeah, that too. It, again, you're a USD football player, you come to this game on Saturday, it's this big in-state rivalry, red state versus blue state, you know, 100-year whatever, all this stuff. You look up in the stands and you don't see any red. I think that's deflating. Yeah. I think that can potentially impact the football game. If you're saying, like, geez, you know, do our fans just not – Want to come and support us? Do they not think we can win? We've seen a little bit of this in the Augie-USF rivalry too. USS fans love to go to Kirkaby Over Stadium and watch their coup embarrass the Vikings on their home field. For the most part, Augie fans don't travel to Bob Young Field because they don't—they—they they think their team's going to lose. You think—is think that's or, why? Or, or they—I don't want to give them my money. Blah, yeah. Blah, blah. yeah. Well. If you want to make it about giving them your money, fine. But you're just, you know, cutting off your nose to spite your face sort of thing there. You're, you know, it's the team that, that suffers from it because they have no support. Yeah. You know, think of – you don't think it helps USF when they go to Augie and there's two, three, four thousand 3 4,000 USF fans there. And then Augie goes over to the other side and there's maybe, what, six, four or 500 Augie fans at that game and the same it, it's a little bit, it's not as black and white with the USD-SDSU rivalry but it's it's the same kind of thing mm-hmm. and I, I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, dismiss the idea that it's not helping USD when they come in these big games. The whole week there's been all this hype in the media and amongst fans and their families and their friends, everyone's talking about it. Then you get to the game and look up in the stands and like, I don't see any red. Yeah, does this is this really that big of a game? Does it matter to our fans? I yeah, you no, know.
1: uh, I totally agree with everything you said. Uh, you know, and I, I I love the callous honesty and brutality of of Coyote Eric. That's partly what makes rivalries great to me. When when you say, yeah, I, I'm not going to go there because I don't want to give him my money. Uh, that's to me, that's awesome, that's hilarious, but it's also kind of, uh I mean, th- there's the choice of that or to be a part of a bigger contingency because you have mentioned 15,000 and it still is inc- striking to me how, how how much easier it has been to fill the seats at Dana J. Dike House every game We're lately with Jackrabbit fans and weather's a big part. We've had this discussion, maybe the beer sales is, but it's, it used to really struggle and now it's up there, up 15,000 for Western Illinois, but it does seat 19,20,000. And imagine the difference four or five thousand in red could make yeah. for that game. Uh, and you, it's not like tickets aren't available. Yeah. It, and you, you, and I want. We're going to get to USF Augie in a moment as well because you brought it up a couple times. And I, I've been. It's interesting. The last couple of times uh, at Bob Youngfield, I've been to those games, and it looks like the Augie fans are increasing their turnout for those. They're starting to realize they're getting tired of watching USF beat them. And they want to do the same thing that USF fans do uh, when they come to Kirkaby Over Stadium and, and be a part of a presence. And uh, one of the years, it helped. It was a Thursday night. There were a lot of Augie fans there. Augie won the game. Uh, but I, we can't get out of this State versus You discussion without a prediction, so go ahead.
0: Um, I'm going to take the Jacks by 8, 9. No, what did I say on the show? Me and Zach made our predictions.
1: Uh, you can yesterday. change your mind after a day. Yeah, yeah. I think I said like <laughs> 20
0: to 17 SDSU. I'll go like 28-20 SDSU. Oh, what, cha- what makes you think it's going to be a little higher score? I, I don't even remember. I'm just trying to – I don't remember what I said. <laughs> so,
1: you, so, you can, so you can brag that you, were, you said it on the no, record the right no, thing? <laughs> no, Z- <laughs> no, Zach definitely, like
0: every week he wants to like tally up the picks. I was like, I don't give a shit, dude, whatever. But Yeah. 28-20 yeah. Uh, jacks. That's okay. what I'll say today. Fair enough. I said Wednesday. What's the line again? According to Zach, it's 12. Okay.
1: Twelve. Yeah, wow. wow. I thought that was kind
0: of high. I mean, I mean, if you just look at it I'd take, through a, through mm. a you know tunnel vision, one team's four and one, the other one's one and three, and the four and one team is at home. So I get it, but yeah. also that's that still seemed a little high to me. I
1: would probably, having just ingested most of my prep for this game, has been this conversation, because uh, again I've been interviewing pigs, but uh, <laughs> and, and driving to Beamer, Nebraska, to play golf with my uncle and drink beer all day this week. But uh, yeah. I would feel like this if you, SDSU by 12, unless that goes down to 10 or 9 by uh, Saturday morning. That feels like something where I would either a take USD or not touch it. But I don't uh. think I would put money down on SDSU for that. But we'll see. Yeah, uh, obviously you can't be in two places at once, and you weren't at the USF Augie, but it's another Cougar win, and uh, they're eight and two in that series now. I mean, you talk about a you talk about uh you know flexed arm a str- if not a stranglehold on that rivalry it's it's impressive what they do especially when it is at augie because i think I'm pretty sure Augie's won the last two times they've gone, or at least two of the last three times they've gone to Bob Young Field.
0: Well, USF won at Bob Young Field just last year. Last year, so is but the But it two. had been two, the two prior. So,
1: Augie's never beaten USF. On their home field. On their home field. That 0-1-5. has to hurt so bad. Yep. And I, I don't really want to get into an Augie versus USF thing because I think the bigger picture is it's pretty cool. This year, they're the two best teams potentially in the Northern Sun, and I'm sure that game did, didn't do much to convince experts otherwise and in most cases they're two of the top four or five teams in the league every year right here in Sioux Falls a block away from each other that's a lot of good football right here in Sioux Falls at the Division two level where there's certainly a lot of programs that are nearby that are options for kids of that level SMSU Wayne State uh, these are you know Morningside and uh, yeah, Morningside and Northwestern are good options you know at a mm-hmm. slightly lower level for really good players. And they still are pumping out uh, a lot of playoff teams and top twenty-five teams, and and good looking. It looks good. I think either you mentioned it on this podcast or I heard it somewhere else. How uh, actually, there's another podcast. I will. I'll bring this up. It's a, it's the, basically the only Husker talk I ever listened to. Now is a podcast called Doc Talk Sports. Former Husker lineman Rob Zadiska, he was on the, uh, one of the national title teams in the 90s. And again, Travis Justice, who I know you love because his Twitter handle is at uh, Travis Creates. But Travis, he's he's a he's a marketing <laughs> guy for a construction firm as a day job. And anyway, uh, he hosts a sports talk show in Des Moines. And he does this Husker podcast because he's been living in Omaha and covering the Huskers forever. Anyway, they're awesome. It's a fun podcast. Very informational as well. And, uh, but Dr. Rob, the, the Husker alumnus, his kid now plays for Augie. He's a redshirt freshman, uh-huh. and he's been going to, like, every game and every week on this podcast while they t- you know they, they, they pump up their sponsors and they dilly-dally around for a while before they get to – which I would do, too, if I had to talk about the Huskers every day or every yeah, week. No Let's shame. avoid talking about them for a while. He mentions his trips to Augie. He loves the tailgating. He loves the culture. And, and he this is a football nerd and a football junkie who played for some F and national title teams at yeah. Nebraska. He's – and he was following this before he came to Augie with his kid committing there because his kid was looking at Grandview and Des Moines and a couple other Division II schools. Okay, He's impressed with the level of football at the Division II level. He thinks it's – because he, he understands most people who only consume Huskers or Hawkeyes or that level would think D2, <coughs> you know. It's got – he's – he's he can't believe how high a level of football it looks. Yeah, and USF well, and Augie I mean, are playing about as high of a level at that high level as you can. I mean,
0: there's – Adam Thielen and C.J. Ham, yeah. you know? I mean, they're both NSIC dudes, and there's a lot of other ones. I mean, it is kind of, you know, sometimes when I'm covering high school football, I'm, like, amazed that a high school team can execute a 40-yard field goal, you know? <laughs> Just because think how much shit can go wrong. Yes. You know, you got to get the snap right, and the holder's got to catch it, and then put it down and spin it, and the kicker's got to kick it through the uprights, and these are kids, Yeah, you know? I, like, I often think to myself, like, it's kind of amazing. 'Cause football is so complicated. So many things have to go right. It's yeah. eleven guys all trying to do their own job to make one thing work. It's kind of amazing when you think about it. Yes. And we're used to it in the NFL and we're used to it in division one. And so then I think when like you said, people just go, Oh, Division Two or NAIA or whatever. Yeah, but you think like,
1: small crowds, small dudes and right. crappy football.
0: But I mean I covered, you know, the N S I C for ten years and there were some shitty teams sure. and I covered some shitty games. But there were some great players and some great teams and some great games. Same when USF was in And NAI. coaches. Yeah, well, geez, I mean, we all know where Kalen DeBoer is now. Yep. And, and uh, you know, Jake Dickard and all these other guys. I mean, it's, yeah, and, and you know, South Dakota State, USD were in Division Two for all those years, and, you know, they put, a, they put some players in the NFL too when they were still in the NCC. So, uh, yeah, I, you know. That was one thing when I became the SDSU beat writer. It's like, okay, this is the number one show in town. I get it, and it's been amazing. Covering the Jacks is fun. I'm lucky to do it. There's guys in the NFL. The games are amazing. You go to cool places. It's the funnest job I can think of. But I, it was always important to me to be like, I'm not going to suddenly pretend like Division Two football doesn't matter anymore because it's really good, too. And there have been plenty of teams over the years um, within the NSIC. I mean, what The Western Illinois team that the Jacks beat 34-10 to 10 last Saturday, USF would smoke that team right now. I mean, I'm not saying they'd beat them. They'd smoke them. Hmm. Now, obviously, the team's at the top of the Missouri Valley. That's a whole different story. But, yeah, I mean, it, and, you know, we've talked about this too. You know, your kids went on to play college football a little bit after playing in high school, and, you know, we always talk to parents or, or whoever, and it's so funny to me. I think people are getting better at it now, but... I'm sure you ran into it, too, where parents are like, oh, well, you know, I want my kid to play college, but, you know, they're only getting offers from NAIA schools, or USF's recruiting them. Like, they act like they're offended or something. It's like, do you know how fucking good you have to be to play football at USF?
1: Right. Like, you have to be, like, one of the top 1% of high school football players. I mean, I, have, a, I have an intimate understanding of yeah. that. Our, our kid was a pretty damn good player mm-hmm. uh, in the in the nine-man ranks, and, frankly, Crazy athleticism compared to most of those kids. It's hard to get noticed, and USF didn't offer him. And there's and and that's that's hard for me to. Stu- and of course, I think they should have. I'm a little mm. biased. I think he's good enough, and I really wanted it to, because then I wouldn't have to drive to Aberdeen <laughs> yeah. to yeah. go to his home games, yeah. which uh, he's redshirting. We're just going to one later this month, for, and that'll be it for this season. But anyway, uh, and there it may have been something because he didn't go to their camp. I know sometimes coaches get bent on that, but uh, for the most part. No, I I don't. That makes that makes me appreciate USF's level and well, but and, even and, and even further level.
0: down. I mean, I close with Ross Simple, the coach at Dakota Wesleyan. You know, Dakota State was a terrible program ten years ago. They're pretty good now. I would always tell parents or coaches like, if your kids getting recruited by Dakota State, listen to them. be, be thankful that your kids getting recruited. That means they're good. Yeah. Any college at any level. You know, and you see it too, there's kids that are, that end up playing at North Dakota State or South Dakota State that early in their high school career, they're getting offers from Dakota State, from Dakota, they don't, you know, you you might as well, you might as well try, you know, and I always appreciate it when the kids are like, grateful to get an offer from Dakota State, grateful to get an offer from Mount Marty, yes, we all know I'm not going to go there because I'm going to have way better options than that, but when people act like they're they're too good for a lower yeah. level of football, that, that's upsetting. That just tells me that those people don't know anything about
1: football. Yeah, by the way, sidetrack. Does Angel Johnson play yet for SDSU? Yeah. Is he taking some snaps? He's their third string running back. He's their third string running back. Okay. Yeah. I mean he he, was, gets, it, he gets carries. Now that tells you how good he was at nine man Viberg hurley right. when he's playing for the Jacks and getting and what is he, a sophomore now, I think, maybe?
0: Yep. Yeah, he played a little bit last year too, because they had so many injuries. So. What
1: does what does USF thirty one Augie twenty four say about the teams this year, the programs? where they're headed. I know you wrote about this. What do you What do you make of it?
0: Um, I think, you know, people are going to make a lot. I mean, you just did. Like, oh, my God, Augie lost at home again. And I get it. I'm sure the fans are frustrated. I'm sure OJ's frustrated. I'm sure the players are a little embarrassed about it. But to me, this one wasn't, you know, oh, they choked or, you know, the fans didn't this or that or whatever. I just think USF's a better team this year. Um, and the fact that USF jumped out to a 31-10 lead against a team as good as Augie that shows you how good USF is. Augie's defense has been a brick wall against the run and Thorough ran for 100 yards. They had 175 as a team. That just, to me, says that USF is that good. Having said that, the fact that Augie fell behind 31-10, to and I think everyone either watching the game or following the scores went, well, oh, it's another USF blowout. And then Augie scored two touchdowns and got the ball back. They were driving to potentially tie the game and come all the way back from down 21. Looks like they finally found their man with Casey Bauman, the quarterback who first couple of games wasn't very good, was in danger of losing his job to Thomas Scolton. He had by far his best game. That bodes real well for Augie going forward. I, I mean, I still think they're the second best team in the NSIC. I wouldn't have been surprised if Augie won, especially being that they're at home. But, you know, they're starting running back. Jared Epperson was out. They do did have the uncertainty at quarterback. And USF to me is just they were a good team last year, and they've just sort of tightened the screws. From, from then to now. They've, they've just gotten a little bit better in the areas they needed to. They're really, really good on the defensive line. I mean, potentially dominant. And they added some weapons at receiver on offense. Adam Mullins a year older at quarterback. They're just a little bit better than they were last year. I'm not saying they're gonna run the table in the NSIC. That's tough to do but they're in the driver's seat to win that conference right now. Yeah,
1: they have Upper Iowa, which I believe is the worst team, if not winless. Uh, then Wayne, uh, That's at uh, Upper Iowa. No, that's who Augie has this one. Oh, I'm looking at Augie. Yeah. <laughs> USF okay. hosts
0: uh, Southwest Minnesota State. You
1: are correct. Yeah, I'm looking at Augie. Uh, and uh, then they'll have Wayne and, and Mankato and Winona State, Duluth and SMSU. I mean, so these both these teams have, look like they have a decent chance to really finish with pretty sparkling records uh, after playing each other. And... Yeah, it's on to uh, SMSU for USF. And by the way, I mean life in Division Two football. Wow, do things swing in one week. Uh, USF was just barely unranked going into that game, correct? And Augie was ranked number eleven, and a game decided by one goddamn touchdown. US, them all the way out of the U- poll. USF vaults to 17 to debut in the poll, and Augie drops out of the poll. And, yeah. yeah, they're the first team after the time. Augie shouldn't have fallen that far. 15 spots. Yeah, they shouldn't have fallen that far. That, that, again, sometimes makes me think that the voting in some of these things is kind of a joke, you know. Well,
0: I mean, if, if you're in Division Two, how much do you know about the teams outside <laughs> of your conference?
1: You and know, and these good. are coaches' polls, right? Are yeah, these, yeah, okay. that's all there is in D2. Well, yeah. there you go. Uh, well, we've 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 filled our time for the most part. Uh, I know you tweeted uh, or Facebook last night about how even though this season blew uh, that you're still going to miss having the Twins to uh, romance, you know, to dance with every evening and uh, on to having your full professional attention on the Vikings but um, how do you wrap up? How do you put your arms around the 2022 Twins?
0: One of the most disappointing seasons they've ever had. I mean it's one thing to go into a season like last year thinking you're going to have a chance to win the pennant, and then just being shit from the get-go, which is kind of what they were. This year, they have one of their best off-seasons ever. They go out and sign the top free agent, which they've never done. They go out and get a a borderline number one starter in Sonny Gray. Then, you know, made the big trade with the Yankees. I mean, I didn't, you know, think they were loaded, ready to win the World Series, but as bad as the Central is, I was like, they should win this division. And then two months into the season, they got a five, six-game lead. I mean, looked pretty good. Yeah, they looked great. And then it has they have this series, couple series with the Indians, or the Guardians, I mean. Some of them were at homes where Felix Pagan blows like six saves in a week. Some of them weren't even save opportunities because they had such a big lead. I mean, it was – I remember at that time thinking, hey, you know these games count, right? Like how many of these are you going to blow? you Are just going to keep throwing this guy? Like these games matter. And they just kept – Spinning their wheels and not changing anything, then the trade headline comes. They make three big trades. They're like, oh, this is this should be enough to get them. Yeah. Not gonna. We all knew, and when I say we, I mean Twins fans. Like, we all knew even after they made those trades, they're not going anywhere in the playoffs. But this should win them the division. We'll at least get to see them win a championship. Get to hang another banner. Get swept in the first round by <laughs> the Astros or the Yankees or whoever. But hey, at least it'll be a worthwhile regular season, 85 wins, division title, that's fun. And that's all I was asking. I, if they got swept in the – normally, lot you know, I've done a lot of bitching about the playoff losing sure. streak. This year they could have got swept in three games, and I wouldn't have said a peep. I would have just been like, yep, won the division, I'm happy. And from, I think, I think I saw the other day, from May 25th
1: to the end of the year, they had, like, the second-worst record in baseball. Yeah. You remember Jason Anschutz? Yeah. Jason Anschutz, former KDLT sports guy here in town. Big Twins fan. Uh, He is. And so here's how he wrapped it up. I I thought this was uh, worthy to make it to our prestigious podcast. He said – Farewell to the Twins until the spring. A laughable amount of injuries and a truly awful bullpen kept them from a division title, but a stubborn and inflexible front office and manager kept me, and I suspect many other fans, from embracing this team. I can't imagine any starting pitcher wanting to sign in Minnesota, knowing they won't be allowed to pitch into the sixth inning, especially with those relievers trying to hold a lead. Interesting. You agree with that? Absolutely. Grady Guardi, Guardi, sorry, Guardi, good old Guardi. Guardi refused to use analytics to the detriment of some very good teams. But Rocco is a slave to his spreadsheets and is killing some mediocre squads. I would love to go back to Paul Molitor and his mix of analytics and actual human interaction, but alas, fans are cursed to hear, quote, it was the right move on paper, unquote, for at least one more season as the number in the loss column and the frustration of the fan base both continue to grow. I love you twins, but I don't like you right now. <laughs> you Do you feel him? For the most part, yeah. I, I
0: wonder how much, you know, is Rocco just doing what he's told? How much of it is his own thing? It doesn't matter either way Jason's right. Um, the, the injuries too, though, like, this is, we're not playing football here. How does every guy on the team keep getting hurt playing fucking baseball? Like, I'm just sorry, and I, I don't. I, it, I know it's not like not peaching like, like, anymore. Yeah, to say that guys are, are pussies or whatever, but it's just like how how does this keep how? And I'm not even talking about Buxton; he's made of glass. We know that. Let's we'll, we'll just accept yeah. that he cannot play baseball without injuring himself. What about the other 40 guys? The Twins use like 65 players this year. I mean, every day someone's getting like. How did you not fire your training staff three different times? Like, how did you, like, <laughs> I, I just, what are their docs? And then not just that no one can stay healthy. They traded for Chris Paddock, the starting pitcher before the season. He makes two starts, Tommy John surgery. They trade for Tyler Maley at the trade deadline, supposedly top starter from the Reds, makes two starts, shut him down. Might have to, I don't know if he's going to have surgery or, or what the deal is. Like, not only does our medical staff suck at keeping their own guys healthy, they suck at, observing whether guys they're trading for are damaged goods or not. Like, I'm sorry. They're, you can't just keep saying, oh, it's just bad luck. What are you going to do? Guy tore his hamstring. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Cal Ripken played 25 years without missing a game. These guys can't – and I'm not saying that should be the norm, but, like, just one, I think Gio Rochelle was the only and, – and Arias were the only regulars all year who didn't go on the DL. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, you know, pitching, offense – I just got so tired. And then the, the other thing is, you know, guy get same formula every time. Guy gets hurt. Rocco says, oh, it's day-to-day. Three, four days later, they go, hey, we're he going to see. So he's you're playing shorthanded because you didn't put the guy in the DL. And then after seven or eight days, they go, I guess he's going to have to go in the DL. So you end up putting him on the disabled list anyway, and you had to play those how many games with a short roster because you didn't want to DL the guy. And then half the time the guy ends up missing like a month, two months, the entire season. Yes, I mean it's just like it's a joke. He, he it's a joke, and I don't want to hear it as an excuse anymore.
1: I used to enjoy him uh, because oh he's mellow and he's uh, he's about the co- players' age and uh, he he lets he lets them relax and he lets them take days off and that, and now. I can't listen to him because it's because it's it's useless. It's useless to listen to him because you can't really. I'm not saying he's a liar, but it's hard to believe right. or really take at any anything close to face value anything that's coming out of his mouth. You need a dump truck of salt whenever you listen to that guy uh, talk. Meanwhile, Vikings. Uh, they have barely beaten teams they should, but they are 3-1. and one. Now they've got the Bears. That should be a win at home because the Bears have no offense. And now you're looking at 4-1, and one, just as Paul Allen predicted before the season started. <laughs> That's the expertise I brought to this podcast. Uh, but does it feel like, hey, they're playing with house money, but their reckoning is going to come? Or, hey, maybe these guys might be good.
0: One week at a time, baby. Okay, so that's how I'm taking it. Go, let's go one go and zero. Go one zero. Let's go one and zero and beat yep. the Bears. I am okay, not, I didn't know they the Vikings played the Bears until you just said it. <laughs> okay, and it's what three days away. <laughs> Why I not? Didn't really know. Yep.
1: Too much going on. Well, that I and just
0: I'm not trying to. I'm not ready to get invested yet. But, okay, but I'm sure that day's is coming. Fair if enough. They keep winning,
1: they're having some fun. Just kind of, uh, just kind of. Uh, you know, wiping the sweat off their brow in these, in these close games with teams that they should beat. Uh, do, do you want to hear it all? Uh, I, I've got a, a couple quick observations about my trip to Lincoln since I said I would I would, I would deliver those were you, here. You were at uh, Mickey
0: Joseph's first win? Uh, yes, I was. All right.
1: Mickey, uh, uh, th- it was. I, I was thinking this to myself, and then I heard other Husker fans who uh, you know, have lived in Lincoln a long time, have been going to games for a long time. For, for a night game, and really, therefore, for any game, that is as subdued. And I'm not saying depressed, but that was as subdued as I've seen downtown Lincoln and a Husker home crowd, crowd be uh, before a game. It just was like you used to. It, it makes sense. I mean, right. they're the, the absolute rock bottom low point of their program in anybody's Ever. lifetime. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, it, it's not like it doesn't make sense, but it still is this kind of a stark, bizarre reality to live in. That fi- like finally the smoke is kind of cleared, and gosh, we suck. And then uh, they play this game, which was like watching a JV high school game. It really was. It was lousy football. Nobody could run the ball, and it was just everybody's chucking it up two or three every other play, and one. Once out of every five or six, just chucks down the field. Somebody catches it and scores a touchdown. Woo! It's, you know, we got a back-and-forth football game, ladies and gentlemen. There were a zillion penalties. The refs sucked. It was just as bad a football as you can imagine at, at a Big Ten level, which, you know, they are probably two of the worst three or four teams in the Big Ten. But it was um, it was just bizarre. Like, you used to, even in these past 20 years where Nebraska's been mediocre or kind of bad and everybody's in denial, like, before a, especially a night game, right? you know, Everybody's been drinking all day. Yep. It's a little bit more. It gets a little bit more electric, leading not just at the game, under the lights, but leading up to it. When you're rowing the streets, you're walking to the stadium with everybody else. It doesn't matter who they're playing and how good or what their record is. In the past, you could yell a half hour before kickoff as you're walking to the stadium, in this g- giant herd and mass of people. You could be, you know, it's 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 Go always a, yes, it's always a self-inflating Go feeling be to be that guy, and everybody else will just yell it back. Oh, isn't that fun? Oh, that's what's yep. great about. No one even tried. <laughs> Actually, I, a, couple, a couple of people did try, and everybody's kind of like, oh, "Come on, don't, what let's let's not, yeah. let's not, let's let's have a little dignity, dignity. about yep. this." That's and uh, you know, the correct. I guess that's I guess we're not real fans because we're not as excited to chant "Go Big Red." Uh, all right, that's it. Why are you laughing? That was a terrible outro.
0: <laughs> Fuck you! <laughs> you all know, uh, Yes.